Shall we begin? You are listening to Slice Radio, helping you slice through the noise and to better connect with the people most important to your business. Slice Radio is made possible by Simple Mind Inc., a consultancy that makes the value of complex businesses crystal clear. And now, here are your hosts, Todd Schnick and Michael Taylor. Good morning and welcome back to Slice Radio. I'm your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Taylor. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Todd. All right. This is episode seven, Visual Communications Without Visuals. (laughs) The titles of our series are just funny to me. So before we get into this very important conversation, Michael, remind the audience about the mission and purpose of Slice Radio. Well, I found... The biggest cost in business over 20 years going in and out of these uh, B2B companies is confusion. The reason confusion is costly is because your return on effort goes way down because you have to put far more effort into marketing and selling whatever it is you do if your communication isn't great. So our job is to help you communicate great. And I'm hoping each time we can leave people with tools, techniques, or ideas that'll help them do that. Absolutely. Well, I think we're uh, accomplishing that mission so far. All right. So today's episode, visual communication without visuals. All right. Now, isn't visual communication like pictures and images? Well, you know, it is. And even in the realm we're going to talk about today, it is. Now think about this. Why do you do an image or a visual? Why do you do that? You do that because you're planting that visual You're wanting to transfer that visual to the other person, right? Well, you don't always have to do that with a visual. You can do it with words that create that image, right? Mm, And so what I've noticed with great communicators, whether they communicate through, you know, ads and websites or speakers or so forth, when they speak, you can see even beyond visual, you can see and feel what they're doing. Feeling is what's so powerful. They can see and feel it, right? And when you can see and feel it, it sticks. You're not absorbing information. We all are overwhelmed. So transferring that image, whether through an image or through words, it's powerful. Okay. So, all right, it sounds good. How in the heck do we do this? Well, you know, I'm going to, the biggest tool in the bucket for that is metaphor. Uh, You'll see these incredible speakers. So, uh, you know, let me give you a couple examples. These are books, but they can be for anything, right? There's an author, wonderful author, uh, David Rock. He wrote Your Brain at Work. And basically this is a, pretty big, thick book on neuroscience, right? It's Mm -hmm. tough material, but he did something incredible with that book. He created a metaphor for the entire book, which is the stage, and you're the director. And he introduced these neuroscience concepts with actors that came on the stage and audience reactions, and you, the director, developing your director skill. It was amazing, really, because I've never gone through a book with that much information in it easily. So that was fantastic. Another one I read by Simon Winchester, he took on this absurdly huge topic, which is the history of the Atlantic Ocean, (laughs) right? I mean, there's just too much to talk about there. But what he did, he did something brilliant with that. He said, I'm going to talk about the Atlantic Ocean as if it were a person going through these seven stages of life, starting with birth. And it it was fantastic. Again, it was a huge topic, but all of a sudden he chunked it down, boiled it down to... Some very interesting things. Well, it's just funny. As I hear you walk through those two examples from those two books, I immediately have a whole different point of view on my brain at work 
and thinking about the Atlantic Ocean and that this isn't just some body of water. There's a history there. There's a story behind it that's developed in stages. I mean, so just, just that alone, just you describing that to me, changes my entire understanding and thought process around those two very, very complicated subjects. So I'm, I'm immediately understanding the power of metaphor. But think about it. I mean, any presentation you've been to, I always seem to really crack the code and the light bulb goes off when a powerful metaphor is utilized. Yeah, that's right, because we can relate to it, right? Yeah. Think about this. I mean, we, we've done like a gazillion software startups, okay? Well, how many of you sit around reading computer manuals, software? None, right? Because it's, you don't connect with it, right? But you know what? In almost every case, we were able to, I'm not going to use a weasel word, I was going to say analogize the software, that and that would have been Weasley. But we were able to create a metaphor that made it very clear what the software did for that non-technical person. Are we planting a seed and nurturing it and growing it? Are we riding a bicycle or, you know, but think about that. If you have a really complex presentation, particularly a dry one of which B2B businesses have, can you connect that to a metaphor, right? And so when it gets deep and it gets thick and you know that this is going to be tough for someone to understand, that's your cue. Go ahead and compare it to something. People will appreciate it. A second approach that I've heard you talk about is this idea of thinking like a child. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, this came out of this this dot exercise. And it was sort of like to prove a point about creativity that, you know, by the age of, I don't know, between the ages of one and nine, we're just massively creative. We're brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, we're trained to be uh, not so creative. So, uh, but this was really interesting. I did what was called a dot exercise. So I put a dot, really just a black dot in the middle of the page. And I was doing all these facilitations so I could whip out the experiment. I said, what's this? I just held it up. And over and over again, different groups, they said, it's a dot. And some people like, well, it's a dot in the middle of the page. It's a black dot, you know, so they all described it and so forth. I did the same thing to my son. No, no, just, I just said, what's this? And his name is Avery. He was six. So you Man, did the dot exercise with a six-year-old boy? I did a dot exercise with a six-year-old, and he came up with this amazing visual interpretation. He said, well, it's a swimming pool in the backyard with a bird flying over it really high. That was the first thing he said. He said, it's the Japanese flag. It's the moon. I, he went on and on. It was incredibly visual, and I was like, wow. So, all right, what's the lesson there? Well, the lesson there is, we look at things very objectively. We don't look at them metaphorically or visually, and we don't do that naturally the way Avery did. So maybe we should try to do that, or hopefully we have a six-year-old kid hanging around. Just go, hey, man, <laughs> what is the this? other strategy is just to bring kids to the meeting. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, yeah, I, I'm thinking to myself how many times I describe something as a black dot, so I'm appreciative of that lesson. A final way to think about this, a different way to orient yourself on visual communication without visuals is this idea of show me, don't tell me. How does that work? Well, think about it. You know, I had mentioned that that great communicators, they really know how to put you in a situation, in a point in time, feeling a certain way because they're able to paint that picture with words. And that's what I mean by show me. I could tell you about my SAP change management initiative in the most objective detail, and you will be asleep. Or I could show you, for example, the effect of it in a way that affects ordinary people who are not involved in IT, for example. It would be more powerful. It'd be showing you what it feels like on a particular day. So, you know, 
For example, let's say I have a product that increases your bandwidth somehow, right? Okay. So I could talk about slow bandwidth like I'm sitting, for example, 100 cars away from a red light who's only letting four cars through with each red light. Have you ever felt that? We've all felt that frustration. I'm, I'm feeling that viscerally right now. The frustration. I'm tensing up thinking about that because I've been in that. We live in Atlanta where we're recording this and... I deal with that every day. Exactly. And so how many what of us... What a great way to think about bandwidth. Well, but doesn't it feel the same way when you're, you know, we're all jamming on our bandwidth, doing things, and all of a sudden, boom, there's four cars let out with every red light. It's the same thing. You, you get know? angry or you get frustrated. I mean, you could describe bandwidth and saying, all right, well, we need to have a thousand downloads, megahertz per second, uh, but with bandwidth, you're having only 0.25... <laughs> Man, you said, are you from Texas? And that was pretty good. <laughs> Dang, but, man. But I didn't, you don't get a visceral reaction to that. You don't. I, we, call about speed, we call it speeds and feeds language. And, you know, really, you just can't get away from it. And it's like, you know, I, you know, we know that's what it is. But that's what you call a spec sheet. You give them a spec sheet if they need that. Or you just answer the question if they ask. But you certainly don't try to deliver that to somebody, especially if they're not ready for it. So, yeah. You know, you just, it's a relational thing, right? It does two things. One is it's far stickier, right? It just, you just, mm-hmm. if you feel something, you remember it. But it's also that person is showing that they can relate to you. There's this thing where you've connected them on a human level, even about a very technical thing, right? So that's what I mean by show. All right. Well, Michael, it is time for the weasel of the week. But before we do that, remind the audience exactly what is a weasel. Well, the weasel is putting out the perception that you're saying something significant without actually saying anything at all. <laughs> I laugh every time at that. All right, so what have you got for us this week? Okay, so we have a technology client who's in the media business, and they sell an offering related to something called programmatic buying. Hmm. And because we were writing and researching, you know, we wanted to make sure we boiled it down well. We wanted to find good translators, you know, people that sort of could speak lay terms what it did. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we struggled a little bit. And finally, I was like, wow, you know, I, can I pluck that paragraph from a guy on a website who was there to teach us lay people, non-technical people, what programmatic buying is. And, and here's, I've, I've plucked his translation here. Would you like to hear it? I would, please. Okay. Uh, programmatic buying describes online display advertising that is aggregated, booked, flighted, analyzed, and optimized <laughs> via demand-side software interfaces and algorithms. While it includes RTB, it also includes non-RTB methods and buy types such as Facebook ads, API, and Google Display Network. Programmatic also implies, this This is good, the implication is, mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Programmatic also implies that the use of multi-source data signals to inform targeting and optimization <laughs> decisions is done. An increasing share of online display advertising is moving towards programmatic due to its inherent efficiency, in quotations, both workflow and performance. Oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. The majority of inventory available via programmatic is non-guaranteed auction traded during the ad call, although we expect to see more guaranteed reserve premium inventory available in the future. And this is when it all came home for me. Although programmatic suggests little or no human intervention, algorithmic optimization can only do so much. Smart macro optimization by analytical traders can amplify programmatic <laughs> performance significantly. Okay. 
I have no idea what that guy just said. Okay. Well, I'll leave it with you to ponder then. Oh, there's going to be endless pondering on that, let me assure you. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Stay tuned for Episode 8, Communication Triage. All right, Michael, before we go, where can people go? Should they have questions and want to learn more about your work? Well, you can find uh, you can find us on Simple Mind website, simplemindinc.com, or you can just email me, michael.taylor at simplemindinc.com. All right. On behalf of my co-host, Michael Taylor, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Slice Radio.